there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome to another episode of Tea for C. If you're interested in psychology or consumer behavior or marketing, then this is the episode for you because my next guest is actually using her major in forensic psychology to better connect brands with consumers. But before I introduce you to Kenda McDonald, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's time for Coffee's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays and gives you a peek inside the episodes and the professionals we're going to be featuring that week. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign up box is right there on the homepage. Now, my friends, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Kenda McDonald, the founder and CEO of Automation Ninjas. Kenda has an academic background in forensic psychology and an affinity for statistics, which I got to believe is not that common out there, and (laughs) behaviorally intelligent automation. Kenda has been living and breathing the marketing and sales software known as Infusionsoft, which we will be explaining pretty early in the episode, and has been using it for just about seven years now. She spent thousands of hours learning new ways to automate what some people think is impossible. She's a self-described true nerd who spends most of her waking hours helping businesses understand behavior in order to produce more effective automated marketing. She's also the author of the book, Hack the Buyer Brain, a revolutionary approach to sales, marketing, and creating a profitable customer journey. By the way, if you want to learn how to break into the field of automated marketing, check out the show notes for this episode to see if Kenda's Espresso Shots episode has already dropped. The Espresso Shots, of course, are focused on helping you learn how to crack the code, in this case, in the marketing automation industry, and you can see if that episode has dropped or not. Kenda, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? Definitely. (laughs) Yay. All right. Well, we should also let our listeners know you're joining us from the UK. And we learned in our Espresso Shots episode, which we just finished recording, that you're about three hours outside of London to the west of London, right? Correct. That's it. I'm sure it is absolutely gorgeous there. We're doing this interview in the later days of August. And I have to imagine it's just spectacular there. It's been a pretty soggy August, but it's starting to brighten up and it's looking pretty beautiful outside at the moment. Oh, gosh. (laughs) I'm sorry. So you've had a lot of rain this month. Oh, yeah. You kind of have to roll with that when you live in the UK. (laughs) Even in August? Even in August. We've had probably about three weeks straight of rain, rain on and off throughout most of the day for the last three weeks. So today we haven't had any rain and I'm very grateful. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Well, listen, I very much appreciate you staying indoors on this lovely day to have this caffeinated chat with me. And I thought, Kenda, before we get into what you do at Automation Ninja and how you founded your own company, 
right out of university, and we'll get into your university story in a bit, I thought it would be a good idea for us to lay a bit of a foundation first and explain what automated marketing is and how it's different from what non-automated marketing is. Mm Yeah. So the way we like to talk about marketing and marketing automation is really to say that marketing is everything that you do to get and keep a customer. It's not just getting a lead on board and then passing them to sales. It's that whole customer journey. So how do you get someone to notice your business? How do you then get someone to become a customer? How do you then retain them after the fact they've become a customer so that you're getting customer lifetime value? So you're having a profitable relationship with that consumer. And really, When you start to look at how you need to do that in 2019 and beyond, you can't do that manually anymore. It's not something that you can do manually because consumers want to interact with you online. They want to find out about you online. They want to do all of their shopping online. They want to buy products and services online. So the automation comes in and taking that entire relationship and using tools and pieces of software to leverage that relationship. And so it's trying to help businesses understand that process and then on top of that, automating that process as much as possible so you can help businesses almost on autopilot get and keep their customers. Okay, got it. When did automation marketing begin? And when do you think it really became essential for businesses to bring it into their business model? Mm. I think automated marketing kind of probably began more than 12 years ago now, really at the beginning of people buying stuff on the internet. Ever since you've been able to buy stuff on the internet, marketing automation has been around. But I'd say in the last sort of six or seven years has when it's really blossomed. It's one of those things that can really help a business now, but it's also one of those things that you can't do without in some capacity as a business. So now it's become something that is really necessary. And that's really been in the last six or seven years. And it's only technology that's made that possible, really. Yeah, absolutely. When I think of automated marketing as a layperson, because this is way out of my lane, Kendra, (laughs) I think of it as being somewhat impersonal. But that's not the case at all, is it? No, no, definitely not. It's about being able to craft a relationship with a consumer at scale. The best kind of marketing is incredibly personal. And if your marketing automation feels impersonal, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> you're doing it really wrong and people aren't going to convert. So it's about allowing people to have that very special relationship with you, but at scale where you're not doing it one-to-one, you're doing it one-to-many. Great. So let's talk more about your company, Automation Ninja, which you founded in 2014. Is that right? That's correct. And I actually usually talk with my guests about their university experience, their college experience later in the interview, but perhaps it is relevant for us to raise it now because that was around the year that you should have graduated from university, but didn't. Do you want to share with our young listeners why you didn't finish at the University of London and why you pivoted to founding your own company? Yeah, sure. So 
I'm an international student or when I came to the UK, I was an international student. I'm actually South African. I'm not British. And in order to go through university, I had to pay my way through university. There's no student loans available to international students. So you have to pay or leave pretty much. And so I had to have a job at the same time as going through university. And I had several jobs on at any point in time. And one of my jobs ended up being as a virtual assistant or a personal assistant, but online for a company that specialized in marketing automation using Infusionsoft. And I started at this company and on my first day, my boss sat me down and he was like, look, this is the software that we use. I want you to go in and I want you to build this campaign because I want you to see how difficult it is to use the software. So I want you to understand why people are frustrated and why you might be dealing with emails in a certain way. I was like, okay, fine. So I went in, built the campaign, went and looked at the resources, figured out how to do it. It was difficult, but it wasn't that difficult. And when my boss came back later on that afternoon and had a look at it, he was like, did you build this? I was like, yeah. And he was like, oh. And I learned later on that he'd set me up for failure. He didn't expect me to be able to do it. And pretty much straight away, I wasn't a VA anymore. And I started building more and more campaigns, doing more of the automation. And as my job role progressed from being a VA to being operations manager for the company, I got told that I needed to make a decision between the company and university because of the way that I was studying. I was studying in the evenings and it meant that on the days that I was going to university, I had to leave work at about three o'clock, which was too early for my boss. He wanted those extra three or four hours. So he said, it's either work or it's university. You make the decision. And I thought, okay, I'll take a year's break and maybe I can see about getting another job or maybe he'll have changed his mind. So I took a break from university, which they allow you to do. And then he shut his company down (laughs) and he didn't pay us for several months. And that left me in a really sticky position. And I decided that, you know what, the team I had built up was really good. We're great at what we did. Let's start a company. And we did. We started a company and I had to decide whether or not I wanted to put food on the table for my employees and for myself and my husband, or whether I was going to finish my degree. And to let you know the extent to how much I'd done my degree, I'd done my dissertation. The only thing I had to do was my final exams, but I just couldn't afford it. And so I let university go and carried on bringing my company into the world. That's how Automation Ninjas got started. Oh my gosh. (laughs) What a story. It was a bit hardcore. (laughs) That is hardcore. So what does Automation Ninjas do and who are the clients that work with you? So we specialize in behavioral marketing automation. And what that really means is that we help businesses understand their customer journey. And then we help them create a customer journey that converts more customers, brings them in more money and gets people spending more money and being happy while they're doing that. It's really important to have a solid customer relationship. So we help them understand that whole journey and then automate the appropriate parts of that journey. And very often our ideal client is a business that is getting into marketing automation, knows that they need a strong strategy for their marketing automation and is looking to work with somebody that shares the same ideals and cares about their customers as much as they do. So it's businesses are getting started or are currently optimizing their marketing automation. So could you give us an example of a type of a company that you work with now or maybe you've worked with in the past, what industry they're in and how you have helped them? 
Yeah, sure. So I'll give you a business to business example and a business to consumer example. From the business to business side, one of our favorite clients is a printing company. So they print all these amazing things and make all these amazing things, phenomenal things for their clients that they work with. And they just wanted a system that would help them automate their lead generation, but then also help communicate with people where their orders were and then get them to buy their second, their third, their fourth, their fifth order, so on and so forth. And we help put that system in place for them. And they're really great to work with. And then on the B2C side, one of my favorite clients is a lovely chap called Mike Brown. He's a photographer. I mean, he's a phenomenal photographer, but he runs a business that teaches people how to get into photography. So he has a training business, teaches people how to get into photography, and he sells courses online all about photography training. He also has a YouTube channel that's got just under a million subscribers to it. I think he's got 500,000 plus subscribers, might be at 800,000 now. And he sells these amazing training courses, but he also takes people away on these great workshops. So he goes to Nepal and all these amazing places and does all these great things. And he wanted a system that basically helped replicate him because it's only him and a couple members of staff in the company. So we did something that helped with the workflow, that delivered all of his training courses online and sold them all online. Line and he has a curriculum and we put that all together for him. So those are our two kind of favorite clients at the moment, but I love all my clients and it's hard to choose between them. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So Kenda, the primary sales and marketing software that you and your clients, of course, use is called Infusionsoft. That's correct. I've actually just rebranded to keep to make our lives really complicated. Oh my gosh. But, but yeah, it's called Infusionsoft and they've got two versions. They've got Infusionsoft by keep and keep, which is very confusing. <laughs> so can you explain to our young listeners what Infusionsoft does sure. and why it is that it makes sense for companies to hire someone like you or one of your team members at Automation Ninjas versus doing it on their own. Yeah, so what Infusionsoft really does and keep to a certain extent now, but what Infusionsoft really does is it helps automate the process after the point of opt-in. So when someone comes to your website, they're interested in what you do and you might have a lead magnet, something of value that they want to download or they want access to, and you might ask them for their name and their email address and then you might provide them with that lead magnet, whatever that lead magnet is. So Infusionsoft would then sit on that opt-in form and it it would deliver the lead magnet and it would add them to email series. It adds them into the automated marketing. So it is a CRM. It is a marketing automation system. It has an e-commerce platform. I mean, it has some sales functionality and some referral partner capability to it. So it allows you to automate the process of someone coming to your site, signing up for something, automatically delivering it, giving them a really good sales series, and then making sure that they convert and become a customer. It allows you to manage that whole process in one system. That's the thing that makes it really cool. But on top of that, the reason we love it so much is it allows you to behaviorally automate. So unlike some systems like HubSpot, for instance, or, or more MailChimp, where it's just delivering something, Infusionsoft allows you to put a little bit of if this, then that behavior in. So if somebody clicks on this, or if somebody does this thing, or if someone's behavior indicates this thing, then we can do something special with it. And if they don't do this thing, and they don't do the thing that we want them to do, then we can do something different. So you 
you start being able to create very personalized, very behavior-based journeys, specifically bespokely for that person within the system. And it makes it really easy to do that because it's got a visual drag and drop builder. So while it sounds quite complicated, it's actually quite simple. And there isn't really anything out there that touches its behavioral capability at the moment. And there hasn't been for the last sort of five or six years. So that's why I love it. And that's why we get businesses to use it. And it's also it means that I can hand it off to my clients. I don't have to do it all the time. But because it's a little bit complex, people like to hire a consultant to do it for them. The unfortunate reality of marketing automation is that as a business, you have to become an expert in using the marketing automation. Sometimes when you want to get started, you just want to hire somebody to do it for you. You want a specialist so you don't get yourself into trouble. But also you might just want somebody to help you with it. And our clients will come along and they might hire us to do a project or they might hire us to just come in every month and do all the things for them. And that's a nice place for us to be, but it's also nice for the client because they know their marketing automation is happening in the best way possible and they've got an expert looking after it. So it works great for us. It works great for the clients and it's the best system out there as far as I'm concerned. So a couple of times now I've heard you mention the word psychology or behavioral Mm. related to this. How has your psychology education, forensic psychology specifically, Mm -hmm. helped you, Kenda, in building this career in automated marketing? It's really the understanding of human behavior. So forensic psychology is an umbrella term. It covers a lot of different things. But what it really gives you an understanding of is why humans do the things that they do. So you get an understanding of some of the biases that we have inherently. You get an understanding of if somebody sees this, they might do this, which allows you to profile people. And one of the things that I think is the most powerful that I've learned from forensic psychology is the profiling capability. The capability to take a look at some type of behavior and go, ah, the kind of person who would do that kind of behavior is this kind of person, which means that it's much easier for me to make sure that they're getting the right kind of marketing material. Material. That's, you know, very unique to their personality. And that has been really fantastic. That's what's really helped me push the business forward. It's an understanding of how the brain works. It's what I wrote about in my book. It's why I wrote the book, because I feel like I have an unfair advantage. I know how the brain works. I know why people do some of the things that they do. And that means that I can make sure that the marketing is catering for that, whereas some of the marketers are just floundering around in the dark because they don't have that insight. I watched one of the talks that you gave at a recent marketing conference, (laughs) and you spoke about using psychographics. Oh, yes. Okay, to profile your ideal audience. Is that what you're alluding to here? Yes. So you get lots of different types of psychographics, but for the main part, what happens is people put together like an ideal customer or a business persona. They have lots of different names or an avatar. They put together an idea of the person that they are marketing to. And when they do this exercise, they always do it from a point of demographics. And demographics are just very basic statistical boxes that people fit into. So whether you are male or whether you are female or whether you're between a certain age range or whether you've studied a certain thing in university or whether you have a certain job role or a certain amount of children, they tell you 
some about the person, but they don't tell you anything about what that person's really like. They don't tell you about what the person likes and dislikes, what their dreams and aspirations are. They don't give you any useful information for being able to market to a consumer. Whereas psychographics are all the psychological and very personal attributes that that person might have. So this person loves heavy metal. This person hates cats or hates dogs or whatever the case may be. I don't know. I wouldn't want to work with someone who didn't like animals, but <laughs> you know, I've chosen that example. But it tells you about their personality and it tells you about what they care about and what they don't care about, which means that you can actually market to them properly. So psychographics are really, really important that you use so that you can segment and profile your audience properly. Got it. So Kenda, take us into a typical day for you. And I'm guessing as a young business owner, every day is different and maybe even <laughs> a bit chaotic. But could you give us a sense of just how hard you're working and the different activities mm. and responsibilities that you have? Generally, most mornings I get up between 6 and 6.30. So it's an early start and I'm a terrible morning person. So I'm very, very lucky to have a lovely husband who makes me tea every morning. <laughs> and I like to ease myself into the day with that cup of tea and a good podcast. But so I aim to kind of start around 8 a.m. in the morning, but it takes me a good while to wake up because I'm really bad in the mornings. I also have ADHD. It's a symptom of ADHD is struggling to wake up. So it takes me about an hour to an hour and a half to be on and cognitive. <laughs> and then between 8 a.m. and 9 a.m., I'll generally focus on preparing for the day, looking at strategy. And I'm very lucky that I have a fantastic PA and head of all of our organizational staff. She keeps me very well organized. But between 8 and 9, I'll sit down and I'll look at the strategy for the week, strategy for the business. Maybe I'll read some good books and I prepare for the day. And from 9 o'clock, it's pretty much straight into client calls or implementation of client work. And throughout that day, I'm really strict about breaks. I need to keep my brain fresh. So I'll have lunch and some outside time. We have a gorgeous garden that we work very hard on. And so I generally go into the garden around lunchtime to give myself a screen break. And then I get back into it again for final client things. And then the afternoon, I will use most of that afternoon for content and working on the business and also learning and topping up skills. It's really important for me to stay ahead of the curve. So I'm constantly going through additional courses, reading new books, keeping that information topped up. I like to read two books a week if possible. So I push myself really hard in that respect. And then I like to try and wherever possible finish at around seven o'clock. Doesn't always happen, but that's what I aim for. And I say that I probably physically sit at my desk for about 11 hours a day. So it's quite a long day, but I realistically actually spend an extra two hours a day reading additional things, looking at stuff. So if you work out on a weekly basis, it's probably a very unhealthy 65 hour plus working week. But I do love what I do and I'm super passionate about it. And I'm really driven to make not just this business of mine, but all of my clients' businesses succeed. So I'm quite happy to spend that time doing it. But it is a hard graft day every day for me. And I work most weekends as well. <laughs> I totally get that. As somebody who is trying to build a social enterprise myself, yeah. it is a seven day a week yeah. situation. But if you yeah. love what you're doing, that makes yeah. it a whole lot easier. It makes it easier. I've got certain things that I know that I over five years, I've learned what works and what doesn't work. I've learned, for instance, that 
taking a business book to bed is a terrible idea because it'll keep me up all night. My brain won't switch off, which is why I try and do them in the morning and a little bit of reading in the afternoon. I've got to stop my screen time. I've got to be really careful because otherwise I'll get migraines. Because if you're seven days a week, at least 11 hours a day looking at the screen, you're going to damage your eyes at some point. So there are some things that I've had to be careful with. But if you love what you do, it makes it easy to spend that amount of time and it's hard work. And that's okay. (laughs) Absolutely. Kenda, did you know what you were going to do with your degree when you were sort of in the final year, recognizing that you weren't able to take your exams, but you were pretty much finished with your academic coursework. Did you have any idea that you would be in this behavioral marketing automation field? I think in the beginning of my degree, no, I had no idea. I fully intended to go through and end up in criminal profiling. But by the time I got to that final year, It was really interesting through circumstance working in this marketing automation company and going, they're not taking behavior into consideration. It was a real bugbear for me. And it was only because I was studying behavior at the time that I could see that there was this massive discrepancy. Like, how can you do marketing if you don't understand consumer behavior? And I became pretty determined to bring it into what I was doing. And my boss at the time wouldn't allow me to. He wasn't interested. The idea didn't come from him. It wasn't being listened to. And so when he shut his company down, it was a tough time, but it was a blessing in disguise because I took that and ran with it. And I was like, you know what? Don't tell me what I can't do. (laughs) I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to see if I can make this work. And it really worked. And it was really exciting. So I think I had the inkling there, but it was only after reading a really great book called The Advertising Effect by another forensic psychologist that made me realize that I could really use my skills, not just in a small capacity, but in a much bigger capacity of helping people understand behavior. It made me realize that I had a real edge. And that was really only after letting go of uni and letting go of the fact that I wasn't going to do my final exams and wasn't going to get that piece of paper that I so desperately wanted. But yeah, in that last year, I had the inkling that the seed was there, hadn't grown into a fabulous tree just yet, but it did slowly grow into that tree. And I'm really pleased that I've used it in the way that I have used it. So was it serendipity that you ended up getting a virtual assistant job? Completely. (laughs) It was in the marketing automation. So you were just sort of looking like, where can I get a job because I need to earn money to underwrite the costs of going to university? Completely. It was never a case of I'm interested in marketing automation. I didn't know that marketing automation was a thing. I had no idea on that first day when my boss sat me down and he was like, build this. I'm like, I I don't know what this is. I had to go learn what it was. I had to figure it out. I had to cobble it together. I had no clue, like no clue at all. I didn't even know that people got promotions via email because I had an email account, but I didn't really use it very frequently. So I was completely green to the industry. And all I wanted to do was pay my way through university. So it was total serendipity. (laughs) So for our young listeners, Kenda, who may be interested in the field of marketing, what Mm. advice do you have for them, for those who are still in school, as to what they should be studying and what skills they can be honing right now before they graduate to make them a more attractive candidate to break into this industry? Mm. It would definitely be learn how to understand data. 
whatever type of data you decide to go for, whether it's statistical data, just become really comfortable with the fact that everyone leaves a data trail. And if you're looking to break into anything in marketing automation, having the skill set of being able to understand data puts you way ahead of everyone else. So if you can learn how to understand data in whatever capacity that is, whether it's statistics, whether it's just, just crunching numbers, but get comfortable with that because that will give you a real advantage over other people. But also, do extra little side jobs all over the place. That's how I got to where I was. And just be willing to learn through those side jobs. Be willing to see where where some job opportunities take you. Don't be too rigid in your career path, which is what I did in the beginning and kind of uh, circumstance took me in a completely different way. <laughs> that is so often the case. And that's why I asked you about whether it was serendipity, because yeah. I think one of the things that I've learned, and I'm quite a bit farther in my professional life than you are a few <laughs> decades ahead of you, Kenda. And one of the things that I now see looking in the rearview mirror is how you can't predict what's no. going to come in your path and how <laughs> that is going to influence the next zig and zag in your life. Yeah. It's so true. It's so absolutely true. I mean, I had such a clear career path determined all the way from high school. I was so determined I was going to do this thing and this is how I was going to do it. And I knew when I needed to do it by and I knew what boxes I needed to tick. And I am a very carefully planned person. And this was not where I ever thought I would end up. And I'm really glad about that. So I'm, I'm glad I, I was a little bit flexible with that because it, it has worked out for the best. <laughs> well, and it happened because of a curveball, right? Yeah. I mean, suddenly the company that you were working for, that you had quit university to commit to, went under. Yeah, complete curveball. None of us saw it coming at all. We just didn't see it coming. And it was stock. I could go off and find another job, but then my entire team that I had built up in that company would be without jobs, one of whom was a single mom. And leaving a single mom without a job is not something I could have on my conscience. I know it wasn't my responsibility, but I felt responsible for that. I brought my husband at the time into that company. So both of us were overnight without jobs. And it was, we could all go off and we could find separate jobs, but why do that if we're really good at what we do? If we've done this specific thing and we're all kind of trying to see how we could make this better, why not actually give it a shot? So little bit of gutsiness in there, but total curveball. And we just went with it. And I'm very glad that we did. Kenda, I try to ask all of my T4C guests about a time in their professional life when they really struggled. And maybe it's this okay. moment. Maybe this is the example that you want to raise. But could you share with our young listeners, if this is the example, how you persevered and maybe a lesson that you learned in the process? Mm. I, I mean, there's so many <laughs> when you look back at it, but I think this was the real moment. So there's a moment when I, oh, it's getting serious now, I just took my glasses off. <laughs> um, there was a moment when we were going through the whole process of the company we were working for being shut down. And there was a moment my boss at the time had actually come to the on the only two days of the year that I'd taken off, which was to move house, to be closer to him because he'd asked us to move house. I'd moved up to be closer to him and he'd come to my house and told me on the day that I was moving in while the removal company was there moving boxes that he was shutting the company down. It was really bad timing. And I took my husband outside and I said to him, look, we don't have jobs anymore. I think we should start a company. And because he's so great, he said, okay. 
But that wasn't the worst moment. The worst moment was a couple months later when we just started earning a little bit of money. We were just trying to figure out how to run a company because I'd never done it before. And I got probably the nastiest email I will ever get in my life through saying that I owed him money for various different reasons. And I'd been so henpicked by this man. I'd been so bullied by this man that I felt really broken. I remember sitting down on the stairs in that house and I have never cried in the way that I cried. I sobbed. It's not something, I'm not a crier. And it was a really difficult point for me because this email was basically threatening legal action, telling him that we owed this all this money to him and that we'd stolen stuff from him and that our company name belonged to him and that my entire idea for a business was his idea. And it was really tough. And I sat and I cried and I cried and I cried until I had no more tears left. And my husband sat next to me and kind of held me through that time period and I think once the tears cleared, all the emotion was gone, but there was a steely determination that was left that I'm not going to let this man do this to me anymore. And I took him for everything he had. And I went from feeling the lowest of the low to working out what my plan and what my strategy was going to be. I had to dig deep, really deep. And I had to figure out how I was going to turn this to my advantage. And I met up with him and Again, I think some of the forensics probably came, some of the profiling came in handy. I let him say his piece and I just dismantled every single argument he had because I sat down and I'd worked through every argument and proved how they each argument was false. And I left that meeting with my company name, my company website, the money and the employee that he was squabbling over. And I left with everything that I wanted by challenging him because he was a bully. And I wasn't going to stand for that anymore. And he'd taken enough of my life. But that was really tough. But I had to dig deep and I had to just, I let myself have that emotion. And once the emotion was gone, I got down to work and I didn't let it keep me down. Oh, Kenta, thank you so much for sharing that with us. And I think it's, gosh, it says so much about you and the grit that you have and the courage that you have. I mean, first of all, you had to be incredibly brave and have a very high tolerance for risk to go off and start your own business at such a young Mm -hmm. age. And to do that without any safety net, you and your husband together Mm. trying to build a business from from scratch without any background in it, but then to take on somebody who I imagine was quite a bit older than you were. Yeah. <laughs> and who was a bully, as you put yeah. it. But oh boy, I bet that gave you an immense sense oh, yeah. of confidence after you weathered that storm. Yeah, I, I remember during that meeting he was just going on and on and and I'd ordered a pot of tea and I made the most laborious cup of tea you will have ever seen because I couldn't stop my hands from shaking. (laughs) So I had to keep my hands busy. So it took me about two minutes to make a cup of tea. (laughs) But I left that meeting shaking for the right reasons. I left it shaking because I knew I'd won and I'd faced up something that had been a scary part of my life for about two or three years up until that point. And it's something that I think very little comes up now that I can't deal with as a result of that, because that was my big challenge. I still have challenges all the time, but that was one of the biggest for sure. I'm giving you a big virtual high five (laughs) across the ocean here because way to go, Kenda. So final time for coffee question. If you could go 
back to university, back to the University of London and do it all over again, Kenda. But based on the wisdom you have now, what advice would you give yourself? Oh, I'd actually, I'd tell myself not to be so hard on myself. I think it's probably the best advice I could give myself. I was very hard on myself in the beginning on the fact that I hadn't managed to complete my degree, that I hadn't managed to do this. And I didn't allow myself to see that I had no other option in a lot of those. I took it on myself as, as a failure. But even if the, even if some of them were failures, there are things that I learned from and have made me the person I am today. So I'd go back and tell myself to give myself a break sometimes. <laughs> it's okay to have a break every now and then. You mean a break in terms of studying or in terms of just the fact that the reality of your life that you weren't able to because your employer yeah. had given yeah. you an ultimatum, either yeah, quit university or quit your mm. job? Yeah. Poo happens. Get on with it. Give yourself a break. It's not your fault. And failure happens. Just learn from it. Turn each failure into a success as a result of that. But sometimes I'm too hard on myself. And if I could go back, I'd give myself that advice because I was really hard on myself then. I became the martyr. <laughs> you don't need to be a martyr to get ahead. <laughs> Absolutely. Kenda's book is called Hack the Buyer Brain, a revolutionary approach to sales, marketing, and creating a profitable customer journey. It's a book that she wrote while she was starting Automation Ninja, which just is another feather in her cap showing that really when Kenda puts her mind to something, there's nothing that she can't do. And if you want to learn more about how to break into this industry, check out the show notes for this episode to see if Kenda's Espresso Shots episode has already dropped. Kenda, thank you so much for making Time for Coffee today with me and the Time for Coffee community. Your story is one of inspiration, I think, for all of us. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.